he needs to go on vacation. Man, he's crabby. <laughs> That's that man. The New Yorker is really coming out. I mean, you're from New York too, Scott, but right. Not like that. Jeez. Oh, mine, mine creeps out from time to time. <sighs> see now, see now, we can't say anything because we don't know when he's just going to magically reappear. And now it's time to sit back and enjoy the two true freaks internet radio broadcast. Stop it! Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spitaro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back to the bins. I got nowhere else to go! I got nowhere else to go! I got nothing else. Alright, are we good? Are we ready to get into this? We are good. Alright. Hello and welcome to Back to the Bins. My name is Scott Gardner. I am joined as always by my very good buddies, both Paul Spataro and Dr. Bill Robinson. What's up, fellas? Uh, too much. What's happening? Doing okay. Just this doing a hanging at home thing. We got Silent Bill with us. <laughs> I was coughing. <gasps> He's got the virus! That's right. Not to scare anyone. <laughs> I, know, I, was out, I was out grocery shopping the other day, and we were in the checkout lane, and all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to sneeze. I'm going to sneeze. I'm going to cause a pain. I'm going to sneeze. I was able to actually suppress a sneeze, which I don't know if you've ever done that before. It's frightening. It's an absolutely like frightening experience. Cause it feels like, yeah, your, your face is just going to pop off. Yeah, exactly. I, I thought I, I was going to be like Mascatron for a moment. You do you do actually run run a risk of like uh, popping blood vessels in like your eyes oh, and yeah. stuff. <laughs> I'm, I'm not joking. I'm not even joking. <laughs> I... I told, the, I told you guys about the story about the guy in the service that suppressed the sneeze while while urinating and uh, blew out the side of his urethra. And he, but he he turned <laughs> he turned defeat into victory. It's Captain Walton Parmenter. Isn't, isn't that a George Carlin routine or something? Like, You'll blow your asshole out. I, I, that seems to me like a punchline from a George Carlin thing. No, this has really happened. <laughs> poor guy. This is not. I'm not making a joke. <laughs> And Paul was doing F Troop. <laughs> we're all over the map here. Yes, we are. Uh, at least we're well, keeping our senses let's of humor. Get us back. <laughs> let's get us back onto the map, because uh, I'm excited about this book, because I was telling Bill just before we got started that uh, uh, when you sent the, the info on what we were covering today, Paul, I instantly knew what this book was. I recognized the number right off the bat, and I'm like, ooh, isn't this the uh, John Byrne all-splash page? Yes, it is. So Yeah, Yeah, when I picked it, I didn't realize it was all-splash pages, but, you know, that's okay. It's still <laughs> kind of an interesting story, and it's kind of fun, but it's not, you know, we're not going to have a lot of, uh, ooh, look at this nine-panel grid and how we progress the storyline. <laughs> There's none of that in this one. I guess, you know, Byrne was into... Is it one of two things? He was into experimenting with 
different means of storytelling, or he was trying to find lazy ways to get out an issue really quickly. <laughs> I, I think it's a little from column A, a little from column B, because this would be right around in the same general time frame when he did the uh, that issue, snow of issue Alpha Flight, the all snow yeah. issue, <laughs> where it's just white page after white page after white page. And uh, I remember people thinking, you know, both that it was very ingenious and clever, and then there were other people like, I, I paid, what it was it, like 60 cents for this? You know, blank pages? So, yeah, it depends on how you look at him. He's either a genius or a fraud or a little bit of both. <laughs> I, I kind of I thought both when I bought it. So it, it could be each. And, and, you know, I mean, this is – I bought this one new, too, off the stands. and uh, Well, actually, from the comic book store. Uh, and, and I had totally forgotten about it until I picked it out yesterday to cover today. And then I remembered, oh, yeah, I remember reading this. Uh, and, and I told, I had totally forgotten kind of the punchline on it cause I had thought when, you know, not getting ahead of myself a little bit, but I had thought the, uh, the main villain, uh, was going to turn out to be the chameleon. You mm. know, he was somebody in disguise. My memory was definitely very I false for that. that. I can but, see uh, that. for, for the sake of anybody listening in. Uh, we're talking about Marvel Fanfare number 29, which was published in November of 1986. And we're talking about the – it's two stories, but we're just talking about the first one. Uh, the oh, main I want one. to talk about the second one too. Oh, no. You, you feel free. Uh, <laughs> so it's a Hulk story, and it's written by John Byrne, penciled by John Byrne, inked by John Byrne, colored by – not John Byrne – Andy Yanchis, lettered by Jim Novak, and edited by Al Milgram. And the story now, is titled A Terrible Thing to Waste. Go ahead. Now, real quick, um, although he has colored some of his own stories, do you know why he generally does not? He's colorblind. Know. He's colorblind. Yeah. I did not know that. That would, that would make it difficult. I wonder, if that's a, I wonder if that's an advantage as an artist to not be able to differentiate between colors and not have that confusing your image. You like almost simplify the image in your mind to make it well, easy is to he, break it down. Right. Is he truly colorblind or is he just, you know, like he sees one color, but we, we would interpret it as a different color. I had always you, thought it was like, I don't, yeah, well, the, well, black and white versus like, like a red may look like a green or a different, like a purple. Right. I mean, I think there's two types of colorblindness. Yeah, well, my, there my, are. My, my point is, like, if you if you don't see color, I think there's ways of questioning you and finding out that you don't see color. Right. If you see color, but, like, the color I see is green, you see as blue. And the color I see is red, you see as purple. Uh, I'm not sure that there's any way to ever know that. I think now I had always believed it was, you know, when I hear colorblind, I think, okay, they see like old black and white TV, you know, that that's how they see the world. That's my mind um, too, but I don't think it's that simple. Yeah, no, it, it's not in his particular case from what I was just reading not long ago. Um, apparently it's the second type, like you were talking about, like um, it's in a specific range where he sees a particular color or particular colors in a certain range of the spectrum as a different color type type of thing. Which I would think would be more of a bitch, quite honestly. Um, yeah, but if you grew up that way, how would you know? You wouldn't know know the difference. And yeah. that's that's what I'm I mean, getting to. Is I I don't know if you'd be able to tell the difference yourself. I wouldn't. You know, I would think 
people with that particular affliction might go their whole lives and have no clue. I remember playing Uno with somebody that couldn't differentiate between blue and green, and I cheated like a son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Send all handicap hate mail to Scott Gardner. The the latest in the (laughs) handicapped Avengers. Colorblind (laughs) man. The red light, stop! What? Oof. Oh, no. Who's, uh, who's, uh, who's the, uh, was it Captain, not Captain Ultra, the, the guy who uh, passes out when you put an open flame in front of him, but he had that really garishly colored costume? Oh, that was a guy from the Defenders. Oh, was it, was it, was it, was it Mr., was it Captain Ultra? I think it might have been. I don't know, just with those horrible colors in the costume, though, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, okay, you can fight oh, that guy yeah, and not even yeah. care. Captain. Yeah, Captain Alter. There's a number. We we should do an entire episode on colorblind heroes and villains because there's a number of folks out there running around in outfits that you're like, who the hell dressed you? <laughs> Starting all the way back with uh, the Golden Age Green Lantern, I was like, I was like, this guy's got to be colorblind. I liked. I always liked that with the original Daredevil costume, and then it's like, well, you know, he really was blind. Right. <laughs> You're going to try and travel by night and surprise people. Well, I'm going to wear this bright yellow costume. So the synopsis of the story is that in the desert, an old Indian sits on a rock smoking a doobie. The The Hulk lands next to him. Go ahead. Sorry. I was just going doobie doobie. Uh, I figured maybe you'd be going into strangers in the night. Nah. The Hulk lands next to him and then just stands and looks at him. Suddenly, the Hulk raises his fist, preparing to crush the man into oblivion. He suddenly looks up at the green behemoth and says, Friend. The man stands, repeating the word, and he raises his hand to the creature, saying it a third time. Hulk stands, ready to smash the man, but something inside him tells him not to, and he seems to recall an event from his past. The man tells the Hulk to sit, and he does, lowering his fist. He begins pouring a small powder on a small rock, and a glowing mist rises from it and moves towards the Hulk. The man pulls out a remote and remarks that the neurotranquilizing vapors are working, and that this will be easier since, allegedly, the Hulk does not currently have Bruce Banner's mind as he once did. Hulk sits thinking, remembering faces, faces of his friends and enemies, faces of people he once knew or had encountered. Two figures approach the motionless beast from behind and throw a gold chain with electricity coursing through it around the Hulk's neck, and they yank him downward onto the ground. The pair are the villains, Hammer and Anvil, old enemies of the Hulk. They continue to choke the life out of him, but he sits upward, throwing the two in front of him. Hulk then moves to attack them, but before he can, Hammer is shot in the face. Hammer's lifeless body falls, and Anvil holds him, crying that if Hammer dies... He'll die, too. Hulk walks away as a voice calls out, Justice is served. The trademark phrase of the criminal vigilante scourge. Hulk sees the clothes of the Indian man, including the mask that was his face, the disguise the scourge, that Scourge used. Hulk, confused, picks up the mask of the man who called him friend and looks at it, unable to understand what had just occurred. So, as, as we started to allude to, this story is... What is it? Twenty-two pages, I believe, and every right. one of every one of them is a splash page. Yep. So it's an interesting experiment, and again, like you know, like you're saying, maybe maybe a little laziness involved, but definitely uh, 
you know, definitely different. And the artwork, for what it's worth, is really nice. Yeah. I like this more than I like most books that Burn inked himself in. And maybe because it didn't require the small, small details because it was splash pages, you know, he was able to, to kind of put it together better. Also, the fact that he's doing it on, you know, in a desert where there's not a heck of a lot of background, I think probably made it easier for him. Right. But overall, I really liked the art. I thought the story was kind of cool. I think the the character of Scourge was an interesting concept that they came up with. I don't remember if they ever revived Hammer and Van Anvil at any point. Do either of you guys know that? Uh, I didn't know they were sick. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, that's a great question. I don't know about that. Um, the only thing I really know about Hammer and Anvil is that they have a, a certain level of fame just due to the fact that they're in their first appearance, I believe, is in uh, Incredible Hulk 182, which, depending on how you count things, is either the second or third appearance of Wolverine. So. Uh, Hulk 180, 181, and 182 make a nice little trifecta of really, really hot back issues right now that people are chasing down. And uh, so they just, they're kind of a hot thing only because they're in that, you know, that's their first appearance in that particular issue. They're uh, they're on the cover, but I always thought they were kind of a, a mort. <laughs> to be honest well, with you. Well, they, they do have a bit of that. Now, just in case anybody's listening, I don't know if you guys could hear it, but I had clicked on a website to try and see what their history was and all of a sudden some music came blaring in which i heard in my headphones i don't oh, know if you guys did but it's probably going to show up on the recording whether i whether i like it or not um so that's the explanation for anybody who's listening but what i did look and i saw that yeah they're dead they continue to be dead as far as i could tell <laughs> oh it's a shame i miss them so much <laughs> i didn't miss them yeah. until i found out that they're dead <laughs> yep, he is gone. Oh, uh, that panel uh, page, I guess I should say, because every page is a panel. But the panel of uh, now, which one's dead? Which one got shot? Hammer got shot. Okay, so the the um, page of Anvil cradling him right there. He looks to me like uh, what was his name? Sam Guthrie from Cannibal. New Mutants, the Cannonball. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he really does. Cannibal coming. I don't know if anybody gets that reference. Uh, 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 no. <laughs> you'd have to watch Caddyshack and Bill Murray, but as, as they, they, him and him and uh, Chevy Chase uh, are smoking a joint together, and he hands it over to him quick. He's like, "Cannibal coming." <laughs> I. Uh... I have fond memories of this issue. I don't remember how or when this made its way into my collection. I think I bought this one off the stands. I, I think. Um, I think Marvel this would have been a direct sale, wouldn't it? Have it? You know, so you would put it probably uh, at the comic shop. Yeah, at the comic. Yeah, and I, I remember exactly yeah, because this was, where I this, got was it the, this was the nicer paper stock too. Yeah, yeah. this looks so good. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, my memory for for you know. I'm not usually able to do the, the Michael Bailey thing of remembering, you know, where I was and what I was doing and all that sort of thing when it comes to, you know, back issues. But this this one I do remember very specifically. I bought at a place called uh, Ravenswood in uh, Utica, New York, which I'm not sure is still around or not. I hope they're still around. They were a really good comic shop back in the day. 
Um, but that was back when I was in the service and uh, was in love with all things John Byrne. So when I found out, you know, Byrne would, would be doing some, you know, some project that I wasn't necessarily collecting, uh, I would snap it up. And I remember pick, picking up a couple, I think every, because he did a number of different one-off type things uh, in Marvel Fanfare. Because uh, there was another one that was like an all pinups episode, and I know he did the cover, and I want to say he did at least one pinup inside too, I think. But I know he definitely did the cover, and I remember picking that up and stuff like that. But Marvel Fanfare is one of those those breed of books that sadly I just don't think works in modern comics anymore. It, it was one of those great titles, like say. Brave and the Bold or Marvel Team Up or something where you could just kind of drop in and drop out. You know, you picked it up as it looked interesting because it was generally just one-off stories. And in the case of Marvel Fanfare, wasn't that a, a, an inventory clean-out book? Yeah, which it's just, to me, Isn't I that... was going to say, it's an amazing concept. What they did was they had all these extra inventory stories that they had nowhere to publish. So rather than just kind of throw them out as fill-in issues periodically to use them that way, they started right. a, a high end book <laughs> to, to say here's all our crap in a high-end format pay extra money for them and people said okay including me yeah that's a brilliant concept it really is and uh but i i liked the nature you know the drop in drop out nature of it because i'll be honest i don't think i have a hell of a lot of issues of marvel fanfare it was never a book that was really on my radar except for times like this. You know, when I saw like John Byrne was going to be on it or something like that. But now, um, because there's such an appeal to me of that drop in, drop out nature, especially, you know, with us doing this show, that uh, whenever I chance across these now on the cheap, and generally speaking, uh, there, you know, the, the, I would say the bulk of the series is out there to be had on the cheap. Um, I pick them up now. Um, this, this is a series I, you know, in, in hindsight now, I wouldn't mind having the whole collection and, and, you know, reading the whole series and everything. But at the time it was just, it, you know, like I say, it was just that, that beautiful little perfect blend of, eh, you know, I'll pick it up when it looks good and I'll ignore it when I'm not interested. That never really worked for me. Uh, <laughs> I was, I was always like, okay, if it's on, it's either on my, my buy list or it's not. And if I, if I saw it and it looked interesting, Usually it would just make the jump from not on my list to on my list. Right. So uh, I just looked. I don't know. I had more issues of this, but as of right now on my uh, CLZ uh, app, I have issues 1 through 18. And then I must have cut it there for some reason. I don't. Do you know how many issues it ran? I think it ran for, ran for quite a while, actually. I could check on that. I don't think my, I, I think it was over 50 my, issues. My highest issue is issue 50. So from 1 to 50, I only have 17 issues. So like, like I said, it's, it's very volume sp- one was 60 issues. Volume two was six issues. Hmm. Right, well, 60, 60 issues is pretty good. That's a pretty decent run for this concept. Yeah. Yeah, my man, I'm looking at the numbers here. It's very spotty. Actually, the only ones that have any sort of consistency at all is the uh, the three part Black Widow, uh, ten, eleven, and twelve by George Perez, which I'm led to believe is now quite fetching quite nice back issue prices. So I might have to slap that sucker up on eBay. But I, I saw that somewhere recently. I don't know if it's still the case or not. But right around the time the movie got announced, I saw where that had a noticeable spike in. Uh, 
in the back issue market. But yeah, yeah, here it is. I, I'm looking at it. It's Marvel Fanfare 45 is the uh, is the pinup issue, and I actually have two copies of that one. It's a burn cover where uh, you've got Al Milgram behind the behind a camera. And there's like a little raised box and the Marvel heroes are taking their turn like one at a time walking up and posing for a picture. And he's oh, yeah, like Scarlet Witch is stepping off the box and he's saying next. It's, it's a cute cover. It's a really good burn cover because you got, I mean, a really nice array of of different Marvel characters from different eras, too, which is pretty neat. Well, for what it's worth, this particular story was reprinted in uh, was it a. Uh What's it? I lost it already. Uh, Incredible Hulk Visionaries, John Byrne. Ah, okay. I've always wondered if this was meant to be part of his run, because his run is incredibly short, but it's really, really good. Nah, but that doesn't line up, because this story is when the Hulk's mindless after he was, uh... oh, wait a minute. But that <laughs> happens during Byrne's run, though. Because that was kind of so. The stuff that came later. With oh, the, I was thinking the ones that uh, that what's his name that Mike Magnolia did with had a mindless Hulk. That right, Scott, he, that, you're that, right. That, yeah. Oh, okay. That strange um, that Doctor Strange banished to the nexus of realities. Is this yes. the same? Is this yeah. the same Hulk in the same time? Uh, I think so because I'm trying to remember my timeline here because I was going to give. Burn the because wrong I remember, because I remember Burn splits them. He does, but he, I don't remember the Hulk being the mindless raging Hulk. But I could be wrong. Well, in the very first issue of Burn's Run, which I want to say somebody fact check, I think is three fourteen. Um, the very first shot we get is this particular Hulk right here. The mindless Hulk lands. And, like, bitch slaps a deer and kills it or something. And that's how it starts. So it's it's right off the bat, it's setting up the fact that, that he is, he's brainless, he's mindless, he's just a, a monster. And I forget when the hell that happened. It, it happened... So he had been like the, the the smart Hulk. He was he was Bruce Banner's brain trapped in the Hulk's body, and he was like the Professor Hulk, but then he degenerated somehow into the mindless Hulk. And that happened in the issues leading up to 300. And then in 300, Dr. Strange banished him to the crossways of reality or whatever the hell that was called. And then you go into those sucky uh, Magnolia issues. At least I think they sucked. Um, and then um, Byrne brought him back. And, I'm trying to remember. I remember Byrne separated them. So was Banner trapped in the in the Hulk? Is that what? Man, that's I'm I'm having to really test the brain muscle now. I think that's what it was. Is I think the Hulk, that particular Hulk, was still the you know like Banner turns into the Hulk. Hulk. It wasn't like what happened out. So what Byrne did in his run, what he established was separating the uh, banner from the Hulk to where they were two completely separate entities. And I think that was done to rescue banner because banner was essentially trapped inside the mindless Hulk. Does that sound right? No, nope. <laughs> no, <laughs> but that doesn't mean anything. I'm, I'm just trying, trying to remember myself. So I think that's what it was, but it's, 
it's I always thought it was a shame that that Burns run didn't get more recognition or, or at least, you know, in, in hindsight, doesn't seem to be remembered very well. And obviously, I don't remember it very well myself. Well, I just looked on Burns page. It says Burn wrote and drew issues 314 to 319. The final issue of Burns run featured the wedding of Bruce Banner and Bet- Betty Ross. But right. that's after he they were split and he was like all week. And I don't remember yes. what happened. And then they needed to put him back together because he was going to die. He was going to die. He, it was like it was like the Enemy Within episode of Star Trek, to where now they're separated into two physical beings, but they can't exist. They, they were not meant to exist that way. So while the Hulk's doing just fine, Banner starts to fade quickly, and they realize that the only way to save him is to reintegrate him into the Hulk. So he goes. Does the Hulk this, have problems too? something i remember they put him into like this like it was this weird like vat it was like this big like nutrient vat or some crap like that and somehow or other um what's his name um rick jones bitch falls (laughs) falls in and he became the hulk for a time because that's where you got those really great covers of like it was like a younger like slimmer buffer looking. I'm trying to remember who did those covers because they were great. Um, and then that eventually led in right into the beginning of um, of uh, the McFarlane and, and Peter David stuff. Because the the thing that that's that's probably uh, you know the hallmark of Burns Run is while it was really short, three fourteen through three nineteen, it set up a lot of stuff. That was, you know, that they ran with afterwards. The the big thing is uh, he did a, a little retcon. <clears throat> so there was the famous story about the printing error on the Incredible Hulk number one, like the original Hulk number one, where he got colored gray. Right. And because of the printing, you know, the shitty printing quality of the day the gray just looked terrible. It, it was inconsistent from issues or from like page to page, panel to panel because of, you know, just the limits of the printing technology back then. So then Stan Lee turned him green, I think in the very next issue, if I'm not mistaken. So he was only gray for like that first issue. And that had been kind of just ignored continuity wise all these years until burn comes in and actually made that part of the story to where there's this great sequence where Banner is sitting at a computer reminiscing about the Hulk. And he talks about the fact that while it's been a slow process and they hadn't really noticed it, you know, happening, that the Hulk had actually evolved. And it shows a picture of like the original gray Hulk. Um, you know, very curvy looking with the ripped up, you know, he looked like Frankenstein's monster, essentially, you know, with the ripped up shirt and all that. And then the huge buff green, you know, modern day raging Hulk. And he was, you know, basically saying that, you know, this this creature has evolved over time. And after Byrne was gone, somebody, I, I, I'm guessing it was Peter David, but somebody picked that thread up and ran with it. And that's where we got the, the gray Hulk for a good number of years during the beginning of, uh, of Peter David's run. And that's still my favorite iteration of the Hulk, frankly, is the gray Hulk. I just thought he was more interesting, but yeah, that's, it's some good. I'm looking at cover images here to kind of boost my memory a little bit. And 
I can give you a quick oh, go ahead. Each one because I found a blog uh, where someone uh, silver and bronze age subjects, and it was a blog from Sunday, uh, July fourteenth, twenty thirteen. So basically, a like a one sentence thing. Uh, in Burns' first issue, we see the Hulk uh, three fourteen. We see the Hulk return from his banishment at the crossroads. The Hulk has had been banished to this dimension of infinite time and space by Doctor Strange as he was becoming too much of a menace to society. Uh, and that was an Incredible Hulk 300. Uh, Bill Mattel's Albuquerque. Doc Samson tricks the Hulk and ends up rendering him unconscious. In 315, uh, Doc Samson succeeds in splitting Bruce Banner from his alter ego, the Hulk. The Hulk initially appears to be very docile, but eventually goes on the rampage, and Doc Samson decides to track the Hulk down and destroy him once and for all. Three, and that's the split cover. So the one before that had the Hulk with the Abomination, the Juggernaut, the Rhino, the Leader, and 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 Modok in the background right. and the Hulk in the foreground. So 315 had the one with the jagged split of the Hulk with Bruce Banner inside him. Right. And then 316 has the one where the Hulk is like standing in the desert, and you've got the Silver you've got uh, the Silver the Silver Centurion armor, Hercules, Wonder Man. And Namor ready to just come down and give a beatdown on the Hulk in the desert. Um, and you've I'm got not sure if it's that specific issue or not, but one of those burn issues features one of, if not the single best Hulk fight ever, and it's Hulk that versus might be. Uh, Doc Samson. Have you you know the one I'm talking about? Yeah, that's yeah. a great fight. So in 316, it says the Avengers arrive to put a stop to Hulk's rampage, but Doc Samson convinces them to let him take care of the Hulk. That's probably what you're talking about. Meanwhile, yeah. She-Hulk visits her cousin Bruce in the hospital and witnesses the medical staff administer special treatment that removes Bruce from the coma that he has been in since the separation. 317 has the one with the Hulk with a black background with the the not symbol. Right, the Ghostbuster symbol over him. Yeah. yeah. And 317, the newly revived Bruce forms a team of Hulkbusters to track down and deal with the Hulk and still finds still finds time to ask Bet Betty Ross to marry him. And then 318, we've got a one where um, the Hulk is like laid out and Doc Samson is over him and somebody's firing a laser in the background on them. Uh, and that's probably Bruce in like a Hulkbuster thing, if I remember correctly. It says in 318, Betty agrees to marry Bruce and the Hulkbusters. Maybe somebody should have put a comma there. Or something. <laughs> she marries she everybody. Betty agrees to marry Bruce. Comma. The Hulk the Hulkbusters go after the Hulk. Unfortunately, Doc Sampson gets in the way and there's a skirmish between the Hulkbusters and the Doc. And then three nineteen, which is his last uh issue on the run. Now did he continue writing or did he just uh I don't remember if he continued. No, he he left. He, so uh, what happened? Did, did he was... then go to Superman a, a, after this? Um because this was right around the time where he was he flipped between the two, and I don't remember which way the flip I'm went. Trying to remember, this is '86. Had so. traded some project with Bill. Was it Bill Mantlo had been writing the Hulk? Yeah. Yeah. I okay. So. so yeah, he Byrne got the Hulk because he and Mantlo traded books or something like that. And then I I think you're right. I think he left this to go do Superman. I I believe you're right. I think because that's, that's what got me to go read Superman was because yeah. John Byrne went to Superman. I was because I I remember buying the Incredible Hulk issues and being like, what 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 happened? Where'd he go? 
Oh, anyway, in his last one, 319, the melodrama is heightened as Thunderbolt Ross unsuccessfully interrupts the wedding of Betty and Bruce, but shoots and wounds Rick Jones in the confusion. Meanwhile, Doc Samson and the Hulkbusters are fighting the Hulk. And Is that why Rick winds up becoming the new Hulk for a while? Did they put him in the vat to try to save him? I'm trying to remember does why. He why the... wheel... Does he end up in a wheelchair for a while? Oh, you know what? I think you're right. Yeah, I, I just think can't remember I how think... he winds up in the vat and becomes I don't think this is where he Hulk. ends up becoming the Hulk. I don't think he became the Hulk or any type of Gamma guy until later. Like, I know he uh, became... In issue... The cover on issue 326 is the Gray Hulk fighting the New Hulk, the Green, oh, okay. uh, and I'm pretty sure that's Rick Jones. So what I, I I was trying to remember how the Gray Hulk came about, and I think what it was was when they tried to reintegrate the Hulk and Bruce Banner, somehow Rick Jones wound up in the mix too, and so Banner emerges as the Gray Hulk and Rick Jones emerges as the Green Hulk. And I, I think it's not evident until they both change for the first time or something like that. Mm. I don't know. This is really picking my, my brain to try to remember the sequence of events here. I don't think Rick stayed the Green Hulk, you know, the New Hulk for very long. I think by the time of... Um, well, I know for sure that by the time of, uh, of Hulk 340, which is the that famous McFarlane cover of the Hulk reflected in Wolverine's claws. By that point, I know that he was no longer, that Rick Jones was no longer a Hulk. So mm-hmm. somewhere in between Burns run and issue 340, he got, I don't know, he got cured or something happened. He got better. The last one that shows that Rick, Rick Jones version of the Hulk on the cover is 332. And it shows the gray Hulk looming over him about to smash his brains out with a rock. So I'm presuming that it gets resolved in that issue. I just don't remember. I have been wanting to reread this run for years. So I might have to bump that up in my priority lists. Cause, uh, yeah, for me personally, my, my interest in the Hulk begins at 314 and, and goes pretty much up until, uh, you know, goes pretty much straight through um, the Peter David run up until the, there's a fill-in issue. I can't remember what issue number it was. And that's that's where I, I think it's 360. That's where I quit the book Cold Turkey. Yeah, see, you they, were they, saying they, earlier that he became mindless because of uh, becoming the professor and that that's why he was banished. But he doesn't become the professor until late in the Peter David run. Well, I mean, so I that's, think- what they, that's what they called him in that. they did. I don't think they ever called him Professor Hulk before that, but it was the one where he was he was smart Hulk. He was... Because uh, you remember the corner box thing where... I'm trying to remember what the hell issue does that start with. I'm looking real quick here to try to figure it. Two... I've got a little break in my collection here, but my, my the first cover I have that shows it is in the corner box of 294. Oh, that's right. He was intelligent because I remember they yeah. they had a statue for him. That's right because there was so, a statue and then the, the, the yeah okay I think I kind of remember that I I read it's been so long since I read all those yeah me too it's one of those things where the the corner box starts out and it's the Hulk but he's wearing like a lab coat and like regular clothes and he's holding oh, and like keeps changing right? in a test tube and, and he changes a little bit in each one to where the time you get to 300, he's back to being the, the raging Hulk again. So yeah, he was, 
he thought he was, I don't know, not cured is not the right word, but he, he thought that he finally had a handle, like Banner finally had a handle on it. Like, the, you know, it was, it was Banner's mind in the Hulk's body and he thought he had a handle on it, but his control slowly slips over time to where eventually not only does he lose control, but he, he actually loses his mind. Like he, he becomes, uh, and I don't think that's revealed until the burn run that essentially, um, he's trapped inside the hall. I forget who comes up with like who, who realized, I think it's Samson. Actually, I think Samson during the course of their fight, realizes that while everybody has been calling this the mindless Hulk, that essentially Banner is trapped inside the Hulk's body. I think I think that's where that's that was revealed. I, I can't remember. Oh yeah, it's I'm looking at some, it's got like two ninety two, two ninety three, two ninety four where he's holding he's holding the beaker, then he slips, then it right. drops and it's like on the floor, burns his clothes off, and then he's, by 300, he's the Raging Hulk. Right. Because I think after their fight in the desert, which, I think you're right, I think that was in 316, I think that's where they they find a way to, to separate the two of them and, and rescue Banner, essentially, from, from inside the heart. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Three fifteen is where they separate the two, and they they stayed separated for a while, and then uh, they had to reintegrate them. And that that's where yeah. But th- this to me is this this is a great place to jump in on the Hulk because it, it's really good stuff. I mean, the burn run was really good. It dips a little bit between three nineteen and. Um, whenever the hell it was that um, Peter David and uh, Todd McFarlane together as a team took over on the Hulk, which is in, I think in the three thirties. So the quality dipped a bit as far as just the, the art was very inconsistent because it was, you know, different artists from issue to issue and all that. And I think it was different writers as well, but eventually by the time Peter David got in there and became like the regular uh, writer, and, and really started his his run proper. That's when it, it solidified, and it became at least to me it was a it was a must read book. It was really really good stuff because it was just it was different. You know, they got him out of the the rut he had fallen into and uh, and made him an interesting character. And it and it went some really good places. I've been cur- curious to reread that portion of the Hulk for a while just because of the McFarlane art because I was. I was so enamored of that stuff as it was coming out brand new on the stands, but I haven't looked at it now in you know all these years. I'd be curious to th- see what I think about it today because I look at McFarlane stuff these days and I'm like, why the hell did I ever like this? So I don't know if I would still like that stuff or not, but I loved it at the time. I think I think McFarlane, as long as he had somebody else writing, I kind of think his stuff was extremely dynamic. It wasn't very realistic. Uh, right, but, but it was it was a lot of fun in its dynamism, and it was also you know, it wasn't that hard to follow. You know what he was doing story wise, so I I, right. I I think that stuff holds up fine. Uh, but I think that also he, uh, you know, he he went a little nuts once he, uh, you know, once he was able to write for himself. 
Yeah. Yeah, you were right, Bill. Um, Byrne left uh, Alpha Flight to do the Hulk. Ah, that's what it was, because I was all been out of shape about that. I'm like, what? And I'm like, oh, okay, John Byrne. And then he left that. I'm like, what the fuck? And then he went from... uh, he went from Hulk and and he was still doing FF, which I I had forgotten. I thought he was long done with the FF by the time he was doing um, the Hulk, but they were he was doing them con, you know uh, concurrently. But he left uh, he left Marvel. He left the Hulk and the FF and went to uh, went to DC and did uh, did Superman. Mm. So yeah, it was right in that time. I remember like. Not so much with Alpha Flight, because I think I picked Alpha Flight up um, in back issues. I remember picking up number one off the stands and being like, yeah, this is okay, but you know, I, I didn't follow it. So it didn't really affect me so much uh, you know, with that one. But I remember the Hulk, him, him leaving the Hulk was really the first instance of a thing that became kind of his trademark um, and, and unfortunately, I think it's still a, a huge part of his legacy of coming in, upsetting the apple cart, starting something really, you know, that seemed like it was going to be really great and then just ditching it, you know, because he'd get pissed off. And I think he just did that one too many times. And I think it became kind of that. I, I think it really became, you know, that that stigma that he carried around for a long time because he did that. On, man, he did it on so many projects. You know, it was uh, you know, fant- uh, not Fantastic Four, but you know, Hulk. He did it with Superman. He did it with uh, uh, Avengers. West Coast was another one that pissed me off because that he was really on a on a roll with that. That was some good stuff. And he had this whole, uh, I think it was Kang. It was either Kang or Immortus or both of them. This, this storyline that seemed like it was shaping up to be really, really interesting. And then he just ditched the book, and they were left to just pick up the pieces without really knowing where the hell he was going with it. So yeah, he did that sort of thing a lot, and it's it's a shame. Well, we've been kind of all over the place in this episode, but uh, oh yeah, well, but it's, one it's, more... it's an interesting book with an interesting tie-in to you know the greater Marvel universe at the time, which is it kind of defies logic that you do that in a all splash page book, right? So I, I think it's kind of, you know, this one's almost, you know, what was it, the nexus of uh, realities? This is almost Something the nexus like of that. the... Crossroads. Uh, cross, crossroads. Yeah, for some reason, Crossroads is crossroads. sticks yeah. out in my mind. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, this well, speaking is, this... of... Go ahead, Bill. Speaking of realities, I don't know if you guys have seen a recent news blurb that they may, or there's rumors of killing off the Hulk in the She-Hulk Disney Plus show, possibly. Uh, I don't. I don't know if Marvel's Marvel's cinematic universe is doing itself any favors by killing off its, or you know, eliminating its its big characters. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know yeah. if that's true or not. It's just like something. I, I was like, mm, yeah. I, I know. Th- oh, I know we'll that. I know that the casting on Captain America and Iron Man is very, uh, you know, iconic to the point of people being like, well, you can't get anybody else to play the part, but you know what? You can get somebody else to play the part. <laughs> Yeah, you just got to do it right at the right time. That's all. Yeah, I, I've, I've, for some reason, I was just thinking about this again the other day, and uh, I, I'm a little bit nervous about going forward um, with the cinematic universe, only in the aspect of I, I think that 
they would have weathered just fine getting rid of one or the other of those characters. But I think losing both Cap and Iron Man um, in one fell swoop like that, I I, I think that's going to affect things going forward. Because I think some so people because they'll just be like, well, this is just well, well this is a great jumping off point. It was fun. Yeah. Bye. You know, I mean, there's I mean, just so much you can't do now. Um, it's you know because you know there were interactions. Oh, I know what it was. It was you know my my son was over yesterday. We were playing some more of the the Marvel uh, Ultimate Alliance three, and there was just some great interactions between some of the characters. And for just a moment, you know, my brain slipped, and I was like, oh, you know, I'd like to see this in the MC. Oh, yeah, that's right. This character's dead now. You know that sort of thing. And it's like, you know, there's still so much cool stuff. That that could have happened, that that should have happened, that now we'll never get because those characters are are off the table. And you know, I know they're just two characters out of you know now dozens that have been created for that. But I mean, they're they're pillar characters, you know. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Yep. Well, back to this real quick. Um, I don't know if you guys saw it. But uh, there was actually one of those, I'm trying to remember, I think it was one of the wooden ones. But uh, a while back, I, I remember seeing it at Kirkland's. I don't know if it was available at other places or not, or if you guys even have a Kirkland's or know what I'm talking about. It's one of those, like, uh, it's like one of those, like, I guess they call it a home goods store where you go in and you get, you know, decorative stuff for your house and everything. Um, but this this going back probably a, a couple of years now, but for a time they had these nice little geek sections of Kirkland's where you could get like uh, like Marvel wall art, and, I, and they had some DC stuff too. Um, and I remember they had a wall art thing, kind of like the the ones that you see at um, um, Hobby Lobby these days, and that sort of thing, like the wooden you know the wooden recreations of comic covers and all. They had this as one of them. And damn, I wish I'd gotten it now. I did. I looked at it at the time, and I, I really liked it and all. And I thought, man, eh, it's, it's okay. I don't need it. And now I wish I had it because it, it really is a great cover. I, I like the cover on this one. It's simple but effective. All right. So we want to rate this. Sure. I tell. I'm telling you, this this story goes against everything I would think. <laughs> because I would just, you know, if you just, if you told me in advance, it's going to be a, uh, you know, a, just a book of, co- of, of splash pages. I, I would just assume it's going to be a nothing story and not particularly compelling or anything, <clears throat> but let's take it step by step. The cover, you know, which we didn't describe really, uh, it just shows a kind of a, uh, raging Hulk standing on the cover, front and center, and almost a poster image. He's got his uh, purple shorts on as opposed to the ripped-up pants, uh, and that he, and he's on the desert. It's a burn image and you know, very, very sharp. Uh, I really like it. It is indicative of what we're getting in the story, even though it's a poster image. Uh, not particularly iconic, but really just well done. And like I said, it's a... It's a quality poster image so i'm going to say an a minus just because it it's really good uh the interior art i like i like it more than i normally like burns inking himself uh the only thing about it that just kind of threw me off a little bit is hammer and anvil 
look almost small. And I guess next to the Hulk they're supposed to be, but they're still supposed to be a lot bigger than the average person. Uh, so I'm, I, I just don't know about like that depiction. Like they just don't look impressive enough. But other than that, I'm very happy with the artwork in this book. So I'm going to say an A minus on that as well. And the story is just cool, and I, I like the twist at the end. I like the the whole process. And there are a lot of, uh, you know, uh, what you call it, boxes where they're telling you what's going on. To narration boxes, right? They're, they're used they're used to a, to great effect in here also, uh, which we didn't really talk about much. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give the writing just a, a regular A because I really enjoyed this a lot more than I anticipated, and I'm gonna give the book overall an A. All right. Um, did you notice that the first page in interior matches the cover? That Al Milgram did a splash page of himself in the same pose. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because yeah. he's ranting about John Byrne doing a book of all splashes, and he was he was <laughs> he, well heck with it. I'll be darned if I'm going to do my usual nine panel editorial strip. So, but then he does later in the book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which we'll talk about that story, I guess, at another time. Um, maybe when we, if we do a focus on that particular artist in that story, maybe, maybe. So, um, yeah, it's a. So I, you know, I, I, I think just because of the link between the first page, even though it's not the cover, I think I'll give it a, I'll give it a straight up A plus. Um, the interior. Well, I love John Burns' art. So it's not like I'm going to give it anything low here. I mean, he does uh, um, he does his gravel and his like debris different than George Perez, but I would kind of put it on a on an equal level but a different style. It's very iconic to me that you know, you could recognize it just by like if the characters were out if you're just looking at the scenery, you could probably say, "Oh, this this was j- drawn by drawn by John Byrne. Um, so art-wise, uh, you know, I don't really think Anvil and Hammer look that's When you look at the one where they're both in the page and the Hulk is in the is in the is is in the foreground and they're in the background, they kind of look they look like, you know, they're like beefy mid mid-tier supervillains. So, I don't have any big beef with that. And it's so sad when uh, the other guy realizes that the other guy's dead and what's about to happen. So, um, uh, a plus for the art and a plus for the story. You know, I got, it was, it's amazing that as fast as I read this, well, of course the price was only a dollar 50, so I wouldn't feel cheated. Although I might've felt cheated back in 1986. <laughs> so I might've been like, what the heck? <laughs> so, but a plus for the book overall for this portion. I'm just now realizing that Hammer and Anvil actually have symbols on their chests yeah. for a hammer and an anvil. I never, I never put that together before. Um, I don't know. They're they're such a goofy concept because I mean, they're they're essentially they're prisoners that are chained together through this thing that what do you say like aliens? Yeah, he said that alien. They're Tony so they're, Curtis and Sidney Poitier from. Um can't remember the name of the movie, but it's the movie where they're chained together and they're running from the prison. The yeah, defiant, the Defiant ones. The Defiant ones. Yeah. How do they or, go to or the? Or it back? could be Rosie Greer and uh, <laughs> Ray Milland. <laughs> Ray Milland. 
How do they go to the bathroom? Very carefully. You got to you got to you know when you go when you're in prison it's not like you have a lot of privacy when you go to the bathroom anyway. Yeah, I don't, I don't believe. Yeah. Thankfully uh, I've never wonder, experienced it. <laughs> well, um, if it's like boot camp there was no uh you know there was no doors on a lot of the bathrooms and stuff. I you like- know, what, what they don't realize is that door protects the people outside of the bathroom as much as the people inside the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like the cover, but I'm not nuts about the cover. I think the the figure of the Hulk is awesome, and I like the background. I like the detail and everything. I don't like the big red, just the red. I, I think that's my problem with it. If the, if the sky was colored differently in the upper portion, um, then I think it would be an A plus image for for me. But there's something about that that big just. Um, it's not negative space, but you know what I mean? It's just, it's just that big red. I don't know. Somehow it just doesn't work uh, effectively for me, which I, I think is the biggest reason I didn't buy the, the poster print of it when I saw it. Um, although, again, I wish I had. Um, I think I'm going to go a B plus on it. I, I think it could be, I think it could be better, um, but I really do like it. Um, interior art I like a lot, but I agree with Paul that uh, I, I'm, I've never been terribly crazy about burn inking burn. Um, I don't know if that's the way he prefers it or what, but it's just he's been paired with so many just fantastic inkers that when I see him inking himself, it, it always looks like um, it just always looks like, well, you know, I like this, but it could be better because I've seen it be better. Um, I, I love him inked by Terry Austin. I really like him inked by uh, Carl Kessel uh, and a number of other folks. Him inking himself is is actually one of my least liked, um, you know, John Byrne things. But that said, I mean, it, the the artwork's you know very dynamic. It's incredible. I like that uh, his Hulk is very reminiscent of Kirby's Hulk without just flat out aping Kirby, which I feel like a, a lot of other artists when they, when they adopt an art style or take a, a Kirby character and, and use them in a story of artists. I mean, so often then they just do a Kirby riff uh, and Burns not doing that. He's, he's being respectful and, and reminiscent of Kirby without just ripping Kirby off or, or just, you know, doing an homage of Kirby. I like it. It's very subtle, um, but it really, it really works. It's very effective. Um, art wise, I think I'm going to go a B plus on the, on the interior art as well. I really like it a lot, but again, I just, um, I'd prefer it just had a different inker is all. Um, and some of the use of color is a little bit strange as well. But overall, I really like it. And then the story, I think the story, I'm going to give the story a straight up A. I always like this. I know it's not. there's not much to it. I mean, it's a quick read and all with it being all, all splash pages. But this one has always stuck with me. I've always remembered it, um, which I always think is the hallmark of a really good story is, you know, when you remember it and you, you know you know what the setup is, you remember what the punchline is and all that sort of thing. And I really do. Um I have always been really curious, though, how this uh, this old Indian guy wound up with Billy Jack's hat. Um, but beyond that, uh, overall grade for the issue, I, I think I'd go on an, an overall A uh, for the overall issue as a whole, though. I really like it a lot. It's good stuff. 
I just want to throw out a recommendation for anybody that sees this around in a, in a cheap bin, and I have seen it around a number of times over the year. If you ever get a chance to, to snag it on the cheap, definitely pick it up, because not only is the Hulk story really good in here, but I had completely forgotten about the um, Captain America backup story that is uh, written and drawn by uh, by Norm Brayfogle, who... Uh, you know, I always think of as a Batman artist, but you know, he did do other characters as well. And his cap in this is really cool. It's a it's a short, simple story, but it's uh, it's essentially just a great cap fight, and it looks so good. And it just it makes me really miss Norm Brayfogle all that much more. I, I thought he was a hell of an artist and uh, and died. He's just, very <clears throat> he's a very lean cap. He's yeah, and I like that. He's not like bulky, muscle bound. Yeah. I mean, at times the guy he's fighting almost looks like he should be Captain America with his build and the blonde hair. Yeah. The, the way he's portrayed now. Yeah. Yeah. I love the part in this where uh, they're tussling and the guy has dropped his gun and both he and Cap go for the gun at the same time. Cap does a roll, snags the gun, and then just immediately throws it over his shoulder. <laughs> so, you know, he has the advantage. He has the weapon, but then he just throws it away to beat the piss out of the guy. I love it. That's that's just a great cap thing to do. I, I love that. That's that's my favorite moment of that story. But anyway, I know we weren't covering that particular one, but I just wanted to mention it was in there. And the back cover of the book is uh, is a poster image by, uh, by Bray Fogle of Cap with some kids. It's a really good image, too. So it's a, it's a good all-around issue. Yep, and I agree with you. If you see it in the cheap bins, you could do a lot worse. Absolutely. So, what books do you guys got? Uh, oh, look at the time. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Been reading anything fun and exciting? Mm, nope. Nope. <laughs>